Hey, folks, I'm Tom. KJ here. You know the drill. We are back to promote the Dunlap Champions Club. They've been a longtime sponsor of Front Row Knowles, and uh, we appreciate that. Uh, and you will appreciate the Champions Club if you have not been there. We've been saying this for a couple of years now, basically since it opened. You need to at least schedule a tour. The season's here. Go in, sample it, find out what you're missing. It is a great place to watch a ball game. Florida State uh, is scheduled for a 5 o'clock kick for their first home game, and I know there may even be some more. So if you want to stay out of the heat, you got that opportunity, as well as food and drink, the ability to get up and move around. It's a great place to watch a contest. It's also a great place to watch other contests because they got lots of TVs. And don't tell anybody I said that because really we want you sitting in the seats watching the FSU game. But uh, you can check on the other games too. For more information, you can call 850, you know that, 644-1830 to buy tickets or schedule a tour. And now, on with the show. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. It is game Game week. week. Game week. Finally. Finally. And what does that mean? I'm still not in shape. Hurricane in the box, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what it means. Labor Day, hurricane. There we go. Those two go together. So Keith and I are not weather prognosticators. No. And we also are recording this show. Correct. So we are not going to speculate on that, except to say that, as we are all aware, there's a storm out there, and they'll have to assess and make a decision. The last I looked, it looked like it was slowing down in terms of when it would approach the east eastern coast of the u.s which means that it's going to pick up intensity and all that but but there is a window to play the game that's my unprofessional non-meteorological opinion we're going to do the game until told otherwise right so that said we have a quarterback we do surprised no let me ask you this and i hate to go right here but i'm going to do it anyway because this is the day and age we're in you're not named the starting quarterback nowadays what do you do Transfer. transfer enter your name in the transfer portal right yep so when you're sitting down and you're willie taggart and you're kendall bryles and you're all the coaches and you're having this discussion does that factor did it in come your, up does it fact i mean because what i want to say is you look at it and you truly assess and you say he's our guy but if you do all that and when you get to he's our guy it's not blackman who has eligibility two more years after this year do you then say maybe maybe we need to reassess and i'm not suggesting that it went down like that i'm just saying unfortunately we're in this era of college football where now if you're not a starting quarterback you might walk out the door you and i had lunch earlier this week and we were talking with jerry coots who will join us uh, a little later in this show and after you left you went back he and i were talking and uh the late great not the late great but late great coach uh he's not dead don't misunderstand george henshaw but the late coach at florida state george henshaw told jerry How about the former fsu coach let's, george, that's let's even just better. drop the word late out of that there conversation george hope you're doing well thank you george <laughs> jerry told me that george had told him not researched so this is just anecdotal but of the 130 schools that we call division one in today's environment 31 of them were starting a quarterback that had been through the portal. Right. For this so year. 25%. Exactly. The bigger question, so there's that specifically, but it, it begs the question of intangibles, which did come up. So you can look at, you can chart every stat and every throw, but just as if you're a boss or a manager, there's other dynamics that come into play. He may be the fastest and the strongest, but if none of the team likes him, which is not the case with Blackman, or with Hornerbrook, or with Hornerbrook. Right. To be fair, uh, you may not get the results you want. So, but but you see, I just it's I would love to be a fly on the wall when they have those conversations uh, to see what other things factor in. And I had not really thought of it that way, but now that you have mentioned it, I'll take it one step further. What about the conversations last year when the coaching staff knew or should have known that there was a group that liked DeAndre and there was another group that liked James? And what were those conversations like when they made the decision to go with Francois? A very similar dynamic. Right. right. I think, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, as we say. And as I recall last August, 
first of all, backpedaling to when when Taggart first came in, Francois had had some off field issues, so everybody kind of assumed it would be Blackman and, and had not then, played, had not played because he was rehabbing the injury. Then we got to the ACC media days, and and Taggart went out of his way to build up Francois and say he's back in the good graces. It's a quarterback battle, and then everybody shifted and said, oh. And then we went through August, and I remember several reports that were, and this is based on 10 minutes of practice, Francois, he looked a little better than Blackman today from various media. So when the announcement was made, I don't feel like there was a huge push that it should have been Blackman. And and to me, it, and this may be more fans, it felt like people were okay with Francois until the Miami game happened. And then there became this question after Black Blackman played against NC State and played well, but he was redshirting. What are we doing? But at this time last year, I feel like people are okay with Francois. Anyway, that's last year. We don't need to talk about last year. I'm excited for James Blackman. Unlike how we began this show and talked about guys who walk out the door, he didn't walk out the door last year not. when he didn't get that job. And that's, that's a tribute to him. And what I'm also excited about is, is with the backups now, in, in, including the transfer from Louisville who is now eligible, whereas two, three months ago we were sweating because we only had one scholarship quarterback you now not only do you have three, but you've got two more and the other two that are more than serviceable. I mean, I'm told that the competition was statistically right there, mm-hmm. that Hornerbrook was right there, and that that Jordan was a little bit behind only because he had been nicked up and hadn't gotten as many reps. But he now has four years of eligibility. I, I'm telling you, this kid will end up playing some significant time. Uh, when he gets a little well that'd older. be a good problem because exactly. there's there's a commit assignee and jeff sims who people are excited about coming in next year you potentially would have blackman coming back for what would be a third year as a starter if you think about it that if things go well this year so anyway that's the situation uh, i did think going back to last week's show keith we didn't have much of a platform for david coburn but i thought of one other thing that we've discussed and that is the need to have two bye weeks built into every college football season. So this year, the calendar falls correctly, and there are two bye weeks. In many other years, roughly five out of seven, I don't know, you calendar experts could tell me how much it changes. It has to do with how many Saturdays between the first one in in September and the last one in November or something. Anyway, the way to change that is to allow games to be played on week zero, like we saw last week. And I will tell you that that game being played and that game being competitive, and of course we're talking about Miami and Florida, probably is a good thing pushing towards that platform in in coming into reality. No question, because that game had terrific ratings, and so the TV powers that be will push for that, and it will happen. I would simply suggest you can play the FSU-Louisiana-Monroe games in week zero and shake some rust off and then still leave Labor Day weekend as the big weekend but what i was going to go back to is the argument against is people will say well then practice has to start in july no it doesn't you just set a rule on how many preseason practices you get and everybody gets the same amount and i realize it may look sloppier because you had 20 practices instead of 25 but you don't have to bring the kids in on july 20th you you can affect that you can affect that so that's all I'll say. But anyway, we'll get that memo to David Coburn, too, so he can laugh at that one like he did our other suggestions. And charging what we charge for the other ideas as well. Exactly. Yes, the check for nothing is in the mail, right? Or the invoice <laughs> for nothing. Anyway, uh, Sunday at Madison Social, 10 bucks. Uh, you know, I think I have that wrong. I think it's 20 bucks for all-you-can-eat wings and a beer from 4 to 10. So, Keith, if you showed up at Madison Social at 4.01 on Sunday and handed over a $20 bill, and then sat there for five hours and 59 minutes, I would venture to say, I'm just going out on a limb, you could probably get $20 worth of wings in that five hour and 59 minutes. Oh, I think that is, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. All right. I'm just... And then I think afterwards... My wife is out of town this weekend with the kids. You want to just make this happen and we'll see? Well, we can tentatively pencil it in because my only fear is once we do that, then the next time we walk in... No buffet for you. Yeah, well, that could happen too. A la carte only. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next time, if I, next time I promote it, if the all-you-can-eat wing special is only for two hours instead of Woo. six, you'll know what happened. All right, Keith mentioned Jerry Kutz coming up. We're going to talk about the Osceola. For those of you that are longtime FSU folks, Jerry Kutz owned the Osceola back in the day, early '80s. Well, just like fashion comes back in style, uh, Jerry Kutz is now back in style and owns the Osceola again. We'll figure out why exactly and uh, and expound upon that conversation. We continue. Stay with us. 
Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. And, you know, we've got the moniker Front Row Knowles. But I think if you want to talk a Front Row Knoll, our next guest would fit the bill. FSU fans uh, certainly know him as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to Jerry Kutz, who had a lengthy career with Seminole Boosters. Prior to that, back when we used to actually physically print newspapers and read them every day. He had the only source for Seminole Sports with the Osceola. Jerry, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. It's good to catch up with you. And Keith and I both, uh, over the years, had a chance to work for the Osceola. That was in my illustrious 900-number hotline hosting days, Keith. What, what what did you do for the Osceola? I just wrote. I just wrote. I didn't do the one nine hundred. So here's the the $64,000 question, Jerry, because, uh, you know, technology, the media industry, everything evolved. And, you know, at the end of your run with the Osceola, you could see the handwriting on the wall and things were changing and and you had other ambitions. And so you sold the Osceola at that point. Seemed totally logical to me as somebody on the outside looking in. But now here we are in 2019 and lo and behold, you've bought it back. So you are dipping your toe back into these waters. Uh, I'll just ask why. (laughs) It's a great question. Life isn't logical sometimes, is it? (laughs) What 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 intrigues you about the opportunity? Well, the opportunity came along, and, uh, you know, it's, it was like our baby. You know, the, my partner, John Esker, and I, and Christy, we started that paper with Steve Ellis, and, and uh, you know, 18 years I owned it, and I thought we did some fun things with it and had some great people working for us, like, like Steve, yourself, Keith, uh, uh, you know, Jim Henry, Jim Lamar, Irish Affell, long list of great reporters and writers that worked Daniel Mitchell. I was going to say, you better get D. Ben Mitch in there. <laughs> D. Mitch. And uh, so, you know, when the opportunity came back, I think that the situation is, of course, different. The technology is different. But, you know, it, at the time I started Osceola, I started it because I was a Florida State fan living in Orlando, and we did not get any coverage down there. I mean, I was telling Keith this, that when his team beat Nebraska in 80, Florida, University of Florida, lost to somebody. And it it dominated the coverage of the Orlando Sentinel. And all Florida State got was an AP story below the fold. And uh, it pissed me off. And so I said, I'm going to start a newspaper. And uh, at that time, the dailies just didn't cover the Knowles. And what's so strange today is we're back in that situation again. If you live in Miami, Tampa, uh, West Palm Beach, there's there's areas of, of the state that just don't get the coverage. Um, so I think it, there's some aspects that are similar. The difference is, is you've got the Internet now with uh, some people doing a good job. I mean, there's you got War Chant, you got... Tomahawk Nation, 247. A lot of people out there doing, uh, you know, uh, they have a voice. And uh, and I think I have a voice. And I think uh, the, the staff, Bob Ferrani and um, Patrick Burnham, share the voice that we're, we have. And, uh, you know, I think we just want to be heard. How, how would you characterize that voice? How would you tell someone what the Osceola says, Jerry? Well, you know, Tom, I think in the beginning, we Steve Ellis brought this legacy of reporting that, you know, you don't print rumors or you don't, you report. So when you hear something, go, go report on it. Go to the source, you know. And uh, I think that there's, over the course of time, I think we've lost a little bit of that in, in the news media. And um, so I don't need to be first. Uh, I just want to source everything that we do um, and be sure that uh, the people that 
my readers are hearing it from are experts on the subject. And um, I think that would be the voice that we you can count on us. What, what we're printing is as good as we can report it. To that I end. Printing, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Old school still. To, to yeah. that end. Uh, well, that's all right if that never leaves you, Jerry. I mean, you, you've got the principles on the front end. So if you, st- I, I referred to putting this show on tape. You know, that hasn't existed for a while either. Uh, um, you have the connections because you, you've covered Florida State. You worked at, at Seminole Boosters uh, as an executive for a number of years. Uh, and one of the things you're doing, you talk about being subject matter experts, is, is a podcast series. That and I know you've uh, you know you spent some time with Coach Bowden. You've got uh, I think an extensive one up there regarding Bryles and what his offense looks like. What are you hoping to accomplish with those? Where and, and I guess those are on the Osceola website. Yeah, so that's um, it's a different voice. Um, I think a lot of people do podcasts and 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 you know they're they're interesting and you get a couple of colorful characters on there and they're talking about Florida State sports or politics or whatever and it's entertaining to listen to i think with all the sources that i have access to that we can produce something a little bit different where our listeners get to actually hear the voice of david coburn or of andy miller which you don't hear very often or of uh, in the case of the Bryles podcast you mentioned you know we we interviewed wally burnham who was defensive coordinator at Iowa State and had to try to defend against the Bryles offense four times. And so we got Wally on the horn, and we got um, uh, uh, Kenny Pope, who was a running back coach with Bryles and had worked with Wally before, and, um, and got them to really break it down for us. I mean, what is this offense? We keep hearing about it. But how is it challenging for a defense to defend? What are the things they do that strain you as a, as a coordinator? And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think not only the content, like uh, in, the new, in the print business, you read the person's words. But on a podcast, you can hear the emotion in their voice. And when you listen to Wally talk about it, you know, you... you you, you can feel his stress when he's talking about how challenging it is to uh, stop that offense. And um, so I, I, that, that excites me that we can get those kind of people on the phone and uh, be able, or in person, and be able to, uh, you know, deliver something to our reader, our listener, that's different than, than everybody else is doing. Jerry, I thought all during the time under the original plan, uh, when you and John were running it, uh, the, the, the term in-depth came to mind, and obviously Ellis was, was uh, great at that, and, and, and you mentioned Ira and, 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 and Mitchell. One of the things that I think our listeners need to know and folks that we hope will subscribe to the Osceola come to understand is we live in a world of, of tweets and, and, and you know 10-second and 15-second sound bites that that's not the material that the Osceola can bring to the table. Your, yours is going to be in depth, uh, if you will, long a longer read, but an in depth read that gets into some of the what we call the weeds and and that type of information. It just isn't readily out there today. No, it's not, and it's uh, it's not an indictment of any particular. Uh, uh, source media source. It's just the the way the world has gone, and I think the people's attention spans are shorter. And they, you know, you, you take a real risk when you do an in depth story that requires people to read past about the fifth paragraph. So I'm, I temper what we do by that, but I do believe, like when you have bad news that breaks, whatever that bad news is, it. it you know, go to the source, and let's talk about what the source. We're going to report bad news in the Osceola, absolutely. But what we're going to do is go to the people that were involved in that news and find out why did it happen, what had you done to try to prevent it from happening, what are you going to do to fix it, and what types of things are you going to implement. So 
it minimizes the chance of it happening again. And I think that's what our our listener or our reader uh, expects us in the media to do. Um, and and so I feel like you can take. I think when we had the Osceola back before, and we had the Foot Locker incidences and some NCA problems and some really bad news. What we did was we expanded the size of the paper. You know, we didn't shirk from the story. We we went to 32 pages, if that's what it required to tell the whole story. And uh, that's we're going to do that again. Talking with Jerry Kutz, once again, owner of the Osceola, and in full disclosure, and if you listen to our show, you know this, we, we now are uh, back in business with the Osceola, if you will, and we'll talk with uh, Patrick Burnham next segment. Uh, in more detail about the Boise State matchup. Jerry, I do want to get this perspective, though, and Keith and I have both been around here a while, and, you know, we tend to overstate things in the moment. But there's been so much buildup to this Boise State game just in terms of needing to get off to a good start because we haven't had one of those in a few years and to get more buy-in for Coach Taggart given the way last year went. So can you give us a comparison point to what the the talk leading up to this game reminds you of as as somebody who goes back to when Bobby first got here or when, uh, you know, Bobby was starting the dynasty or whatever game it may be from over the last four decades or so? I hadn't thought of that. Let me think about it a minute. We we are of the opinion it is uber important. Well, so let's – I mean, people look back and talk about the 80 Nebraska game as one that kind of put FSU on the map. But in terms of going – you know, Jimbo early on in 2011 when he had some quarterback injuries, lost some games, that Virginia game. I mean, people were not all bought in on Jimbo. And uh, even 2012 didn't really get people completely bought in on Jimbo. It really came with Jameis in 2013. So I don't know if there was one singular game when people thought, okay. Yeah, and that game, like I can remember – you know, uh, I mean, I don't know if you can edit this out or not, but, you know, the Pittsburgh game was the breakout game for Jameis, but it kind of snuck up on us, you know? It was like I remember going to that game and not – I knew it was a big game, but then when you saw Jameis come down the field on that first drive, you're like, oh, man. I said to my wife, this is – the game has just changed, you know? But I didn't remember thinking of that going into that game. Yeah, it, it didn't have the hype associated with the Boise State game, but the after no. effect was very, very right. important. Yeah, so to answer that question, um, I can't think of a game that had this much hype to it um, in terms of the preseason opener. Um, I think back to, you remember, 88 when we – open with Miami and we had unfinished business, uh, you know, 87, we nearly beat them here and they went on to win the national championship and we went down there in 88 and it was a super hype game and we got trounced. We got beaten like what? 31 to nothing. 31 zip. Yeah. yeah. But we did and, get a rap uh, video. That out game of had a lot of hype and the outcome was horrible. But, um, no, I don't. I can't think of a game going in that that had as much hype as this one does, and uh, it's a great question. The um, thing that's really interesting to me, though, I, I got a report the other day that Florida State has sold forty four thousand tickets for this game. Uh, BYU has only sold, I think, sixteen hundred, and the you mean city not, has not sold and not BYU, with, but Boise. I mean Boise, yeah. I, yeah. Boise has sold 1,600. Um, so Florida State fans have really turned out for this game. Um, and uh, I think there's there's a tremendous amount of excitement. And uh, To me, the, the, the critical thing here is the team. It's the players. And I believe if they go out and have success, the buy-in to what Taggart and Bryles and, and, and the coaches are – are selling them, you know, they'll, they'll, the players, they'll buy in even more than they have already with success. Um, and I think our fan base, a large part of our fan base is sitting on the fence. They're looking to see, um, you know, 
is the team going to be better this year than it was last year before I commit to buy season tickets? I don't want to hear about it. I want to see it. Exactly. And Willie Taggart has made that statement several times that there isn't anything I can say right now that, that that's the right thing. We just need to go win. And uh, I think he's of that opinion, just as every fan is. Let's just go win. We'll all feel a lot better next week at this time if that's what happens this weekend. No question. Jerry Kutz, the owner of the Osceola, we look forward to working with you and your team. And if you can think of a way to reintroduce the 900 hotline into today's technological age, I know a great candidate to be the voice of that line. (laughs) Hey, Tom, one of the funny things about that 900 line was uh, we, uh, we, we transposed two numbers on the Osceola hotline in an ad once, and all of our customers got a, a adult uh, adult <laughs> hotline, in, which was uh, pretty comical. That was my side business, Jerry. That was the other hotline I had. Tom, Tom's <laughs> the one that did it. <laughs> Jerry, appreciate yeah. it, and uh, we'll see you in Jacksonville and throughout the course of the season. Okay, thank you, man. Appreciate you. Jerry Kutz, owner of the Osceola. He's right. We know this in terms of buying back in, and I don't think it's the financial investment. It's the emotional investment for well, He referred to it. It's his, it's his baby. And when, Well, no, no, no. I mean people buying season I'm tickets sorry, based yes. on this win, not Jerry. Yeah, no, it is Jerry's baby related to us. Similar, though, compared to football, it's not a question of do I have the dollars for the tickets. It's do I emotionally want to invest – uh, and get built up and get hyped, or do I want to see the product first? And I think that's where we are. So hopefully we get a good uh, something good to see on on Saturday and throughout the season. All right, we'll we'll talk more nuts and bolts about Boise. We'll get deeper into the weeds with Patrick Burnham from the Osceola when we come back on Front Row Knoll. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. We are back on Front Row Knowles. You just uh, heard the number there. Is, uh, we're going to go back into some football talk, but uh, you can get more information on the Osceola Online at theosceola.com. Appreciate Jerry Kutz coming on. He's not going to be a regular, but when we need perspective, he's a walking historian on Florida State football. Been around a long time. We will get to uh, our Osceola Insider segment right now, though, as we return to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to Pat Burnham, who is uh, working with Jerry at the Osceola. Uh, I've known Pat for a number of years. He's been in the recruiting business. He's been in the player development business on college football staffs. He's He's now with the Osceola. He's also Wally Burnham's son, and his brother is coaching for UCF, I guess, right now. So Football's in the blood. We're not going to let you talk about UCF on this show, but, Pat, how are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm excited to be here. And, of course, like you guys, excited that uh, football season's here. I told somebody earlier today, this is uh, like the week of Christmas for me, for five days of of college football so i'm looking forward to it yeah we are too and let me just we mentioned this at the top of the show but for somebody who tuned in uh we're we're putting this show in the can so to speak we're recording so we're not giving hurricane updates or any of that stuff but before we started it looked as if things were slowing down enough in terms of when it would arrive that we'd get this game in so if you're wondering why we haven't addressed that folks that's why there's other places you can go to find out the status of the game so we're going to proceed as if it's on and and pat i want to we talked with jerry about the the podcast a little bit but i and i know he had your dad on to to break down uh, the kendall Bryles offense but you've done that as well and you've been out at practice a lot so uh this is a very open-ended broad question but what do we need to know or expect from this offense and from kendall Bryles? Well, I, I think obviously we'll see some uh, improvement in the offense. Some of the things that they're going to do schematically may help shore up some of the shortcomings on the offensive line. Uh, one of the things that uh, comes to mind right away is pass protection. FSU struggled last year there, as we all well know. And uh, in Kendall's system, they're going to use a lot of six and seven man protections about sixty to sixty-five percent of the time. Uh, I spoke with Coach Kenny Pope, uh, who is the running backs coach last year at Houston, 
And uh, he confirmed that that was generally the case in Kendall's offense. And then, of course, I did speak with my brother, who's the coach at UCF, and Jeff Levy, who is Kendall's brother-in-law, is the offensive coordinator there. And I went back and watched some tape on them, and that is definitely the case. Uh, you know, the great thing about that offense is uh, FSU is loaded at some of the skill positions. Uh, it's got three really talented running backs. Uh, it's got some receivers that can stretch the defense vertically. And obviously that should help the uh, running game. So I think you're going to see improvement overall. Pat, I think that's one of the things that maybe the hardcore FSU person has started hearing, but maybe the the ones on the fence, so to speak, or haven't paid a lot of attention, don't understand that while this is up-tempo and they go fast, Browse's offenses have been amongst the top ten in the country and rushing everywhere he's been as well. And rushing is what they want to do. I mean, they are a power team. Uh, they When they implemented, uh, implemented the eight back at Baylor uh, when he was working for his father, they really did turn into a power football team. And they do want to run the ball, and uh, you will see FSU line up with multiple tight ends in the ball game. Uh, you may even see them some in three tight end sets, but you will definitely see uh, Trey McKitty and Cameron uh, McDonald line up at the same time. And uh, you know those guys will be lead blockers. Uh, they'll pull, and uh, you know it, it, it'll be a power running game that FSU fans will see. How much will RPOs factor into this offense? And how proficient is Blackman at running them? Because that was certainly something we talked about a lot with Francois last year in terms of inability to really, uh, you know, run it well or master it. Well, I, you certainly – there will certainly be plenty of RPO in Kendall's offense. There's no doubt about that. I think for it to be most effective, uh, James Blackman will have to at least be a credible running threat. It's not what he likes to do or wants to do necessarily. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're going to run some quarterback power and some quarterback counter. And, you know, if they could keep defenses honest honest with uh, James running the ball, it will open up opportunities for, obviously, the other uh, running backs, Cam Akers and uh, Kalen LeBorn, and obviously uh, open up the passing game as well. So I think that you will see RPOs will definitely be a part of it. And uh, if they can make James a keep uh, just keep defenses honest on the – zone reads and all those things uh it will certainly help uh benefit the offense long term pat we've talked a lot about our offense let's talk a little bit about boise and offensively this is a boise team that they've lost some personnel their quarterback is gone uh he was a four-year starter i think he's with the broncos now his last name was ripon and then their running back who had uh, back-to-back thousand yard seasons uh was actually a third round pick by the vikings he's backing up Devonta freeman or uh, uh dalvin cook dalvin cook rather uh up in uh minnesota but, but what do we know about this boise offense and then we'll transition into florida state's defense well, they'll be starting a true freshman quarterback in Hank Bachmeyer, who was highly recruited out of high school. He was the sixth-rated post-op quarterback in the nation by 24-7, and he beat out Chase Cord uh, this fall for the job. Now, just mentioned it, uh, Coach Harson, the head coach at Boise State, is not unfamiliar with this. He started ripping as a freshman, and they won nine games that year, and Rippon went on to be the uh, most prolific passer in the history of the Mountain West Conference. Uh, but they are spread offense. They prefer to run the ball more so than pass, although they are very productive when they pass the ball. They put off through for other, over 3,700 yards last year, but they did run the ball 57% of the time. Uh, you'll see a lot of 11 personnel, which is one back, one tight end, and three receivers. Uh, they'll get in 12 personnel, uh, obviously one back, two tights, and some 13. And uh, you know, they'll run various formations with all three sets of those, uh, all three of those personnel groupings. They got some talented guys coming back, but they lost, uh, obviously you mentioned Madsen, who rushed for over 1,400 yards last year. It looks like it's going to be running back by committee. Uh, they've got two guys coming back that both got over 30 carries apiece last year, but that was pretty much it. Uh, no one, based on what I have read, has set themselves apart there. Uh, they did lose two guys from the receiving core who combined for over 70, 120 catches and 1,700 yards, but they also have two coming back that are uh, combined for 70 receptions and about 1,000 yards. So they've got some talent on the edge, and uh, they've got some vertical threats, but they are spread offense. Uh, I do think, based on what I've seen from 
backfire on film. I watched some of his tape from high school. He has a very live arm. He's very accurate. Uh, can stick it in there on the quick or skinny post, and he throws a nice little deep ball. Uh, seems to put just enough air on it. And I think he might be a little bit of a more of a running threat than what Rippon was in their system. He does. He ran for over 500 yards last year in high school. Uh, so he he is athletic, but that's not what they have done. Uh, Rippon was credited with 85 carries last year, but for 12 yards. So obviously the sacks are included in that. So and they did give up a lot of sacks last year at Boise State. Uh, they have a very experienced offensive line. All five starters returned, and uh, those guys uh, are very good, especially on the left side of the offense. You mentioned that offensive line. I, I spoke to a group yesterday and reminded them I had looked this up. Uh, all five returning offensive linemen, but they gave up 32 sacks last year. And if you want a re- reference, Florida State's offensive line gave up 36. Yeah. So the the bad news is they're all coming back. The good news is they're all coming back. <laughs> That's right. Well, obviously it gives uh, FSU's defense. You would think that they would attack the offensive line and uh, pass situations with blitzes and uh, things of that nature. But, yeah, certainly having an experienced offensive line helps. You know, they did have some shortcomings in pass protection last year. Pat, I have downplayed all of the talk about Florida State, quote-unquote, moving from the 4-3 to the 3-4 defensively. Uh, I think that basically means you're going to play a linebacker instead of a defensive end in my vernacular. Am I not appreciating the move, or is it really that not that big a deal? Well, I mean, I think there are some fundamental differences, but you're right. You're putting an extra linebacker in space, and FSU has some guys that can cover a lot of ground, and they're athletic in their outside linebacker group and obviously have a talented secondary. Uh, you're asking a little bit different, some different things from your defensive interior people. You know, they're going to play a little bit further off the ball, where in a 4-3 they line up uh, – as close to that ball as they can, as close to the line of scrimmage as they can, and they are trying to get upfield and disrupt the line of scrimmage, where in a true 3-4, they're going to line up about four inches off the ball, and they're going to two gaps, have two-gap responsibility sometimes, where they'll be responsible if it's a run play for the nose guard will have both sides of the, both A-gaps and so forth and so on. So it'll be a little bit different for them, but at the end of the day, it's football keep, as you well know, and uh, I've spoke with Odell about it, and he feels like his guys are learning the technique that you play in a 3-4 and expect them to be very productive. I don't know that you can come up with a name that we haven't heard at this point, Pat, but you've been at practice a lot, and so you know the media gets to see 20% of practice each day, and so we hear various reports, and it just kind of moves from one day to the next that you know, Helton's really a guy that's had a had a great camp, and then it moves, and you hear another name, and you hear another name. Uh, obviously, the Pope on the offensive line we heard a lot about. But from your time spent out there, who have you been most impressed with in terms of that that guy's a football player and is going to make a difference this year? Well, you've mentioned one of them, Keyshawn Helton. Every day I go out there and watch wide receivers, I'm so impressed with that kid. The effort he gives in practice, I mean, he makes great catches against air. I mean, catches he goes out of the way to make. I mean, diving, jumping up and uh, so and his effort is tremendous. Uh, you know, obviously been impressed with Ryan Roberts and Dante Lucas on the offensive line. We don't get to see much eleven on eleven work, but uh Ryan Roberts looks the part. Um and of course Dante Lucas is a very talented freshman. Um on defense, really impressed with Dennis Briggs, uh, who will back up Marvin Wilson. I think that's a guy that's just going to continue to get better and better, and I look forward to watching him. Uh, the secondary is talented. Uh, you know, Amari Gaynor and Leonard Warner, I love watching those guys practice. I think they're both in line for breakout years. Uh, they uh, seem like they're perfect fits for what the FSU is doing on defense. They're going to line up to the wide side of the field, and uh, both of them have the ability to get out in coverage, and they have both held up well uh, in the blocking drills I have seen. And then, of course, Trey McKitty and Cameron McDonald have also been impressive. Uh, you know, they've, they've really improved as run blockers based on my conversations with Telly Lockett, the tight end coach, and they have dominated at times the inside and outside linebackers they have faced in Oklahoma drills and some of the individual one-on-one blocking drills uh, deeper into practice. 
I feel like the one area we haven't heard a ton about is special teams this camp, and maybe there just weren't a lot of open special teams uh, periods for the media to see. But has, have, have Logan and Aguayo had good camps? And do we have any idea if their philosophy is going to change on kickoffs, whether they fair catch? Or, or frankly, there's obviously a lot of room for improvement. So how much improvement do we expect we're going to see from the special teams unit? Well, uh, I think we'll see improvement. I mean, that they've made some changes in the kickoff return game as far as personnel. Um, and, of course, they have some talented kids. And I think that Coach Snyder leading that group will help. He uh, was the special teams coordinator for Michigan State for three seasons. The three seasons he was there. And he's a veteran coach and has been a head coach. And uh, I've worked with Coach Snyder for two years at South Florida. And, you know, I feel like uh, nothing against the guy that had the job last year. But, uh you know, I think we'll see improvement there. From what I have seen from uh, Ricky Aguayo, he's been consistent in the portions that we have got to see. But we have, you know, they'll open up practice with a field goal period from time to time. And, you know, he, I have not seen him miss very many. Uh, and But they have not been from long range either. It's been, you know, more than the 30 to 40-yard range. But he has been consistent from what I've seen. Uh, I believe you would have to believe that Logan is going to continue to do what he's done. He had a spectacular year last year, averaging over 42 yards per kick. But, uh, you know, they've got some talented young kids uh, that came in with this class that I think will help uh, benefit special teams and gain some valuable experience to get them uh, ready to go when they actually line up on offense or defense. I almost feel sad for Logan. There's two records that you'd never want to have in baseball you don't want to have the record where you struck out the most and in football i'm sorry you don't want to be the punter that punted for the most yards in a season <laughs> that, that's correct and i'm sure i'm sure logan needed the offseason as much as anybody like oh. <laughs> pat that is great insight uh we appreciate it uh look forward to to conversing with you more as uh, as our partnership grows but uh, enjoy the game this weekend and we'll enjoy your coverage at the osceola thanks guys look forward to visiting with you again thanks, all right pat, pat burnham wally burnham's uh, son and and he knows what he's talking about there you can read more about what he has to say at the osceola.com you can subscribe for 6.95 a month or 74.95 annually uh, your point about the punting and the strikeouts the upside there is at least if you're striking out a lot the way the the game has turned in baseball, don't worry, that record will be broken again tomorrow. So somebody else will set a new possibly, low. possibly. All right. Speaking of setting new lows, we've got one more segment to go. There you go. Let's do it right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. We are back on Front Row Knowles. A few more minutes to go, and it's that annual reminder. Big news. If you suffer through us one hour a week, starting this weekend... We will double your fun. We'll triple your fun. As a matter of fact, as you know, if you've been a listener to this program, during football season, we do a recap show that we literally tape in the middle of the night, depending on what time kickoff is. Unfortunately, when you're not having as much success on the field, it's better for us because then it's not the middle of the night. It's 8 o'clock at night. Because <laughs> those early kickoffs. Because those early kicks, we get done early. But anyway, the point is, uh, it, it's before we've watched any tape. It really is a reaction to the game. Keith watches from the booth. I'm on the field. It's great to be on the field, don't get me wrong, folks, but it's the worst angle you can possibly have compared to what you're watching on the TV or even from the stands if you have good seats. But but anyway, we go through, we break down the game, and it airs. Uh, it's our Front Row Knowles First Look Edition, which airs every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. Uh, right here. And then it will feed into your podcast uh, feed as well, so you need to be subscribed there on iTunes. But then it re-airs Monday nights at 6, to your point about tripling your fun. So just make go. a note. Know that, uh, uh, again... Uh, if once a week is not enough, don't worry. Uh, we'll give you a dose on, here to help. on Sunday and Monday, and uh, and we look forward. You know, and 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 truthfully, Keith. So it's 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 really two things. In the case of a win, it's a little chance for us to bask in the glow, and in the case of a loss, it's basically therapy for you and I as we talk about it and we work through the hour, and then we turn the page and move on. It's it's more therapy last year than anything. <laughs> yes, hopefully, hopefully we can go to basking in the glow instead of being therapeutic, right? <laughs> 
Um, so anyway, that's that's Sunday mornings at eight is when that airs. Uh, a couple a couple of other things here that happened uh, this week. Certainly, condolences to to Ron Dugans on the uh, the passing of his mother, and I know he's back with the team now. Uh, anybody who has experienced that, and and we all ultimately will in terms of a close family member, uh, you know what that's like, and certainly condolences there. And then the opposite side of the coin, really great story, and you see these videos pop up from time to time about somebody being surprised that they got a scholarship. The interesting story here is it's usually not a guy who originally was on scholarship and then quit the team and tried to figure out what he wanted to do and had to earn his way back as a walk-on. And I'm talking about uh, Tony Baselli, and it, it just uh, Anthony Baselli didn't look like he knew that was coming. It's refreshing when they do that, and I love I love the fact that coaches now appreciate that the rest of the team likes to hear about this. Uh, it it would happen during my time. We've seen it happen in the eighties and nineties. Coach Bowden, most of the time, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but most of the time would call a youngster in and just tell him face-to-face in his office, call his parents, let him know. Uh, now, because of the video and, and social media, it's really cool when they do surprise the recipient with that. And uh, obviously, you need to go to Seminoles.com and, and, and take a look at that or, uh, where they've got it posted. But it's interesting in this story because, as you mentioned, he, he was recruited and came to Florida State as a scholarship player, got disillusioned, had to, had to find himself, was playing under the shadow of his dad, who is an all-world offensive lineman with the Jaguars, and and chose to come back. But to come back, he had to come back on his own. He had to come back as a walk-on. He was not preferred. He was not treated to special. He had to work his way through and to see him earn that. And then we'll be backing up uh, Johnson at the center position come Saturday evening. That's a really, really good story. You mentioned Johnson. Babyon Johnson is the new starting center, and we've talked about the Pope, Dante uh, uh, Lucas, and uh, and also Ryan Roberts. I spoke to him at Media Day. He's an impressive kid, Engin- has an engineering degree from, from his prior school, working on his master's right now. What's your thoughts on this this offensive line, and what's realistic in terms of what we should expect? Well, first of all, Babyon Johnson is not the same Babyon that you saw last year. He is he's gone through a transformation. His body has changed. His attitude has changed. Uh, he's gotten extremely strong in the weight room. So any of the negatives that you had associated with him, pay attention to them. Know that they're there, but I don't think you're going to see them. He has really. Uh, risen to the opportunity and as the starting center. And then on the right guard, you mentioned the freshman. Tommy, it's been a decade, maybe 12 years, since a true freshman has started on the offensive line. I think line. Rodney Hudson was the answer. So, And, of course, he's still in the league. He was a pretty good one. And then the grad transfer coming in. So you got a true freshman. So what is he, 17, 18 years old? And then you got the old grizzled veteran who's the grad transfer. He's 22 or 23. I'd love to have those two mic'd up and listen to their conversations during the game. Uh, so there's the right-hand side. Uh, you've got returning players on the left-hand side. Back to your question, this offensive line will be improved. That's that's not a big leap of faith on my part. They were They were not good last year, but they'll be improved for two reasons. Number one, what's asked of them is different under the Bryles offense than even what was asked of them under uh, the, the, the offense last year. And it, and it can protect them. And, and, and Pat talked about they'll, they'll leave a back end. They'll keep, leave a tight end. It's not always five blocking four. It's six and sometimes seven in protection. Uh, and secondly, the way the schematics are set up, they don't have to hold their blocks. They don't have to drive off the ball. Bavion was telling me that in many of the runs, which if he's got somebody on his nose, if he's got a nose guard on the center, whatever way that nose guard goes, he just takes him that way. And it's up to the running back to find that different crease. So you're not – someone's trying to move to the right and you're trying to move them to the left – you don't have to be the strong man to do that. If they're moving to the right, just take them on out to the right and let the back cut in behind you. So schematically and what's being asked of them is different. I think they'll I think they'll be fine. I don't think they'll be all world beaters. I don't think they'll be great, but they'll be good and I think they'll finally have some success and and we'll quit talking about them. A for pre-snap penalties and B because of the old lay blocks. I do find it interesting and this might be the nature of fans in general but specifically FSU fans given what the 90s was and just the past you know the the riverboat gambler you came up in a passing era 
Bryles is about running the football. And I feel like that's been dismissed this whole preseason. We talk about receivers. There's been a little bit of talk about Kalen LeBourne. Not so much about Cam Akers, other than he's been a good soldier and he's in good shape. But, you know, last year was so abysmal that it's almost as if people have just, well, there's no way we're going to be able to run the ball. So it's just about the passing game. But he wants to run the football. You you heard it said, and in, in the game in Jacksonville on Saturday really pits two teams that want to run the ball. You heard Pat talk about that Boise ran the ball fifty seven percent of the time last year. Here's another stat I've mentioned it previously for those that uh, for forgotten, but Boise has had ten consecutive years of a thousand yard rusher. Okay, ten consecutive right. years. Bryles' offense, while they've put up masterful numbers and they've thrown the ball around. Last three stops, he's been in the top 10 in the country in rushing in terms of total yardage. So what Pat's telling us is exactly that. They're going to run first and then work off of that. And and I don't know if you've ever picked up on this, but it's a run-pass option. It's not a pass-run option. That would be a PRO. And that would be the NFL. <laughs> Um, I, I just, I'm excited to see it. My, we've talked about this, my interactions with Bryles that there haven't been many, but he, he commands the mic when he speaks and you can tell he knows of what he speaks. He's, he's quick with his answers, but they're thorough answers. They're insightful answers. Uh, it's not as if he's discarding the question per se. You can just tell that he wakes up and when he's eating a cereal or whatever it is, or his, or his shake, or he's on the treadmill, uh, in his mind, he's thinking about, how do I get that linebacker moved over here? Well, what if we schemed it up this way? That just seems to be the way he's wired. And my limited interaction with Clements is also, you know, you don't have to be loud and you don't have to be vulgar to be tough. If you listen to him answer about two questions, you know he's not a guy you want to get in a fight with. <laughs> I mean, he commands the respect because of his demeanor and the way he conducts himself. Obviously, we're off the charts. We're homers. Everybody's undefeated. Optimism is out the yin-yang. You know, we're going to go over to Jacksonville and we'll win 100 to nothing. Reality will set in, but you got to like where Florida State is positioned. Um, we said the same thing last year and we're disappointed. We got to see, not just here. We got to see, not just here, but it sure is better than if Willie was out there saying, you know, practices were horrible and we got nobody and please don't come because it's going to be embarrassing. Well, we get to see starting this weekend. And as we mentioned, we'll have our first look show Sunday morning at 8 at Reairs, Monday at 6. And then we'll be back with our regular show Wednesdays at 6. And uh, I think we're done. I think we are. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Tip your servers. Try the veal. Subscribe to the podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Hey,